This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS Radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there, too. Welcome to HITS Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. Today we have uh, Mark Ritland again for another episode. And what we're going to do in this episode is we're going to talk about the very first part of a selection test, which is pretty common. Most people do a, a stakeout test or a, whatever you want to call it, a cable test, stakeout test. And just about everybody does that in their test and usually as the first part of it. In talking to Mike over the years, I've picked up a couple of small little nuances that I thought were fascinating that um, I haven't heard anybody else really talk about. Uh, what he looks for, what he's what he's uh, looking for, is is uh, uh, his words are true forward aggression, and I think it was one of those things. I think I used to look for it without realizing I was looking for it, and probably didn't know how to quantify it. And after talking to Mike about it, I thought this would be a great idea for an episode just to break down the first part. Uh, you know, you're at the vendor, you're going to go selection test some dogs. Most good quality vendors are going to let you take the dog out and do what you want within reason and, and not try to influence your decision, let you get the dog you want, um, which is good and bad. Sometimes uh, I always ask the vendors which dogs they like the best and you know they want to sell you the best dog. Any, any good vendor wants you to take the best dog that you want uh, that's going to work for you so that way they can sell the dog and not have it come back. But that being said, you know we're all responsible for doing this, the selection test for ourselves in, in some manner. So the stakeout test being as common as it is, most people do similar things, but I talked to Mike about it, and then he was out here in uh, Denver teaching a class and got to watch what he was doing with it. And he's got a few very interesting twists that I think uh, when you hear what what he does and what he's looking for, I think it'll help all of our listeners. So with that, uh, here's Mike Ritland. How are you doing today, Mike? Good, good. I appreciate the uh, the warm intro and uh, the kind words, and I and, uh, appreciate you having me on. I'm happy to, happy to help however I can. I appreciate it. I know you're a busy guy, so to jump onto a, a little podcast like ours, I appreciate you taking the time to do it. Oh, so, so I've been to your place and I've actually bought a dog from you, and you know we did it and talked about it. And, but also at Hits, uh, you know when, when you've come and talked for us at Hits, we've talked many, many times. I've known you now for several years and and gotten lots of good information from you. And and as I said. The, the stuff that you talked about in the stakeout test, um, I think I, I think I did it without realizing I did it. So um, if you don't mind, could you just kind of explain, you know, when you go to buy a dog where, you know, where you're getting your dog and, and then what is it that you're doing on those first tests and what are you looking for when you're, when you're doing, you know, the very initial tests with the idea here that um, we try to keep these podcasts down to 20, 30 minutes. So sure. we'll probably discuss this. And then in a, a future uh, episode, we'll go over a couple other things that you would look for. Sure. Um, since we're talking about the stakeout, I'll stick to that. But I actually, uh, I actually like to do that last, uh, and the reason why is that if the dog doesn't have all of the other things, I don't want to put them through what I'm going to put them through in the in the stakeout test. So, to me, there's nothing worse than saying, "Wow, this dog is exactly what I want," uh, you know, from a from an aggression standpoint. But he's got such thin nerves that I can't buy him anyway. Uh, so I'll I'll okay. do all of the initial temperamental temperament testing, character testing, environmental stuff, uh, prey drive, hunt drive, all that kind of stuff. And and you know the the class that I'll I'll teach, uh, or I'm assuming I'm teaching again is. Yeah. 
yes. is, is walking through all five of those steps. But the, the, the stakeout test is actually the last one that I do for that reason. Having said that, um, one of the things that I, uh, you know, have come to learn over the years uh, from, from failure uh, is just how important uh, some of the genetic components are as it relates to, to that natural forward aggression uh, that, that to, to me, either exists in a dog or it does not. Now, if it does, it will it can exist in, in a, a multitude of different calibers or magnitudes, but uh, but at a at kind of a root level, it's either prevalent or it's not. And and one of the best analogies that I I feel like I've I've come up with to be able to relay this um, you know scenario and why it's so important to people um, is is really you know analogous to the selection of a human counterpart. In that you know if you've got a a prospective uh, patrolman or, you know, somebody that, that's coming through the academy. Uh, and one of your tests is the following scenario where you essentially put that, that person in a public venue and somebody that he doesn't know walks in that's intimidating, uh, looking in both, you know, stature, presence, aesthetics, you name it. Sure. And he walks up and just picks a fight with this guy. You know, we all know that there are a number of, of people, individuals that wouldn't do anything about that. They wouldn't fight back. They'd sit there and take it. They'd call the police. They would, you know, scream for the manager, what have you. And I, I would ask people and say, you know, from from what you learned at, at that point, is there any amount of training that you think you could put into that person to make you feel comfortable serving a high risk warrant with them? You know, and, and resoundingly, the answer is always no. I, I would not want to work with that that person. Uh, and so, sure. to, to me, it's it's really no different with dogs. And so, um, to me, it's imperative to to kind of have that. Uh, that thought process or, or that element in the back of your mind throughout this entire process is that ultimately, you know, you want a dog that, that's going to have that kind of fortitude and backbone and, and for lack of more refined terms, sack, uh, you know, when, yeah. it, when it comes to, to dealing with, with somebody that's, you know, again, physically capable, uh, you know, intent on hurting them and, and ready to, to, to go to work on the dog. They, they've got to be be prepared for it. And so, um, because that, you know, cannot be taught and that, you know, if we've just gone through that scenario and realized, okay, yeah, like that person, if they don't have that in them innately, there, there isn't an amount of training that's going to fix that. And so, um, what I like to do first is have whoever, you know, whoever's been dealing with the dog primarily, uh, you know, a kennel hand, a vendor, whoever it is, stake them out to, you know, a tree, a post, it could be the bumper of a car, a hitch, you know, whatever, somewhere where it's, it's absolutely secure. And I've actually developed my own, um, cable uh, or back tie in, in that scenario i use climbing rope with a figure eight harness and a 10 10k carabiner on it from i don't know if you recall when i was up there that uh yeah you know that bull snap broke <laughs> when, I was, when i was doing this i do remember popped off and uh yeah so um ever since then i i bring my own back tie cable everywhere i go if i'm gonna do it and, and I, I rig it up uh, but uh, at any rate um so you know, make let me sure. jump in. Let me jump in real quick here, Mike. I just want to mention to our our listeners that Mike's doing this from his home there in in a small town part of Texas, and the the internet connection sometimes jumps in and out. So I apologize for a little bit of the every once in a while he drops off, and I know that. Um, but I think that, like I said in the last episode, Mike, the information is worth it. So uh, sorry about that, but but we do the best we can. And and uh, if if there's a few things, I might have to have you repeat every once in a while, Mike, because every once in a while you drop off, and I know you can't tell on your end, but uh, 
So sorry to interrupt, but go back to you've got your own uh, your own cable now, and you've got the dog cabled up. Yeah, so I've got my own cable. I have the dog cabled up. Um, make sure that it's it's secure and it's not going anywhere. And instruct whoever's going to back tie the dog how to do it properly. And then once that dog is is uh, is properly back tied, um, and this is one of the things I didn't do while I was up there for the sake of of time and also just the logistics of where we were at. Uh, but the first thing I like to do is is basically a, a boogeyman test of some sort. Doesn't have to be anything super dramatic or or drawn out, but you know, for me, I like to just drape a, a tarp or a big uh, sure. towel or something like that over me and kind of squat, hobble, you know, walk around, do do yeah. things that are that are completely unnatural from a human behavior standpoint, and also you know, in in the the form of something other than human, but there's movement, um, and and so when that dog is is back tied, um, and I want to talk a, a little bit about the the back tie itself. It's ten feet. And I think it's really important to have about 10 feet. Uh, I don't, I do not like to use training tables because I think it, it forces more of, of the fight that's not genetically there. And I understand why, you know, that's why people use them is to try to elicit that response. I want to know that it's there genetically and that that dog is making a conscious decision to fight me as opposed to just not being able to and, and feeling forced into a corner and, and wanting to sure. defend itself. So I, I do think that that's worth bringing up. But uh, so any, at any rate, I like about 10 feet. I walk out there with uh, with you know some sort of weird attire on and just make weird movements. I may hop around and then squat down and sit there completely still for 10, 15, 20 seconds, move slowly side to side, stand up, move back down, just move around, engage the dog. And really what I'm looking for throughout this entire process, what I like to say is a mirror. Uh, you know, I, I want to be looking into the mirror in terms of, you know, if, if that dog is a little confused and not sure what the hell's going on, that's what I want to see. You know, the dog's ears are up. He's kind of looking at me as he's got maybe a furrowed brow, maybe a couple of barks, uh, but that's it. He's just trying to figure out what's going on. He's, he's so not, forward. certainly not, certainly he's not at the end of the lead losing his mind or anything. No, I mean, you know, I don't want to see that. Now I will caveat yeah. that with, um, you know, in depending upon where that dog is going to end up, if it's a, a SWAT environment where the dog is going to be, you know, going through barricades four nights a week, biting twice convicted felon tweakers, then then that's maybe a compromise I, I would potentially be willing to make. Uh, on a broader scale, though, I, I do think that it, it speaks to uh, a thinness of nerves, uh, usually. Uh, yeah. Not always, but we're going to find that out later. So um, that's, a, you know, I'd be willing to accept that if it's not a, a patrol dog or a school safety yeah. officer's dog or, or something like that. Uh, you know, not a dog that's going to be mingling with the public nonstop, then, then I would be willing to compromise on that. But otherwise, no, I don't want to see them showing aggressive and, and even more so, uh, I do not want to see their hackles up and them scared and yeah. just penned and running away from it. And I, I've seen a number of dogs who in every other element of, of, you know, battling it out with them were absolute monsters. Uh, but when you introduce them to something where they're tethered, they're not with anybody to depend on, and they see something they don't understand, they're scared of it, and, and that is a deal breaker for me. Um, you know, and whether so it's, at that point, if you're you're doing that and the dog starts showing the the hackles up and baring his teeth and all that, laying the ears back, you're just going to be done, right? Yeah, yeah. If, if I or especially like if that dog's ears are back and he's you know his tail's tucked and he's kind of squatting or yeah. sl slinking away from you, uh, yeah, it's I'll take it all off. And at that point, just in, in, you know be be a gentleman about the test take sure. that stuff off yeah. bring them back into prey drive make a positive experience out of it and don't yeah. be a jerk about you know what, what the yeah. dog is or isn't in this case but yeah. um 
but you know, so at that point, yeah, I just, you know, you don't need to, you know, spend an hour stalking the dog and doing all the sorts of weird stuff. A couple of minutes, just make sure that the dog isn't going to lose his mind uh, and be forwardly aggressive and in a defensive manner or super scared of that environment. Because, you know, to me, that is the one thing that, that you can't ever control. You know, that's, that's the one constant where, you know, un, unquestionably that that dog is going to run into scenarios in his career where he doesn't understand what's in front of him, you know, and if it's something that, that when they encounter that, they're scared by it, then they're a huge liability. Um, you know, yeah. so that's the last thing I want as a dog that every time he runs into something, he has no idea what it is, especially if he's, you know, four rooms deep in a warehouse without his handler uh, and he runs into something that scares him and he runs away. Now, now you've just created a huge problem. So um, that's why. And, I, and the training is not going to fix that in my opinion no because I mean, you can't mask it but once once he hits that he's he's going to default to that yeah because you know you, you can't you can't show him everything you know there's there's just there are going to be yeah. times where that dog runs into something that he's never seen before so I, I like to identify how that dog responds in those scenarios um, if everything looks good there then I, I disappear in that and I would say it is important to not take that stuff off in front of him disappear in that and I give him a couple of minutes to and, and I like to watch through a window uh, where he can't see me, but I can see him or, or very carefully, you know, an eyeball around a corner yeah. uh, type of thing. Once, once you see that dog fully recover and now he's back to just kind of sniffing around or hitting the end of the lead or barking or, you know, it seems like he's back to normal. Then I come out with absolutely no equipment. And this is another thing I see a lot of people, in my opinion, make a mistake is that they'll say, you know, no equipment, my dog's civil, he'll bite. And they're out there in a pair of running shorts with a whip. Uh, or, yeah. or a clatter stick, um, you know, to me, whip, yeah. Yeah, a whip and a clatter stick are, are no less of a cue than standing there in a bite suit because that, that dog has Absolutely. made, made that association every single time. So, um, you know, to go out there with anything, I don't care if you've got a jute tug in your back pocket, don't do it. Um, you know, it's imperative that that dog has no contextual association towards what's about to happen whatsoever. Uh, and so at that point, I like to, to stalk the dog a little bit. Uh, I like to, you know, make really fierce eye contact, frontal, predatorial, confrontational type of, of body movements. And it's, it's again, important to, and, I, and this is another thing I see a lot of people do, is they're doing a lot of prey movements, trying to agitate the dog, making a lot of, sh you know, and, and bouncing around and moving back yeah. and forth movements and waving their hands and screaming and things of that nature. And, and again, you know, show me a predator in the wild that acts that way exactly. when, when they're confronting something. They don't. You know, they're, they're the exact opposite of that. There should be very little exactly. movement. Uh, you know, and you need to, you know, not have it be an acting job. You need to work on that flipping that light switch no different than if you're preparing yourself to, to go kick a door in, uh, you know, serving a warrant or something like that. You need to be in that mindset where it's serious. Uh, where it's not a game and, and you're doing everything that you can with your body language to communicate to that dog that I'm here and I'm here to crush your, your soul and, and, and squeeze the life out of you. Um, you know, and, and so to me, there's a lot of different nuanced techniques that you can use, um, that, you know, are much easier to show than explain, which I, I, I do a little bit in the class, but, um, but the, the big thing to, to remember is that it's it's kind of the dog that's going to that's going to tell you if you're doing it right, and by that I mean that the dog is either going to be angry about what you're doing, or he's going to be intimidated, or worst case scenario he's he's going to be neutral. If he's neutral, that means you're you're not effectively communicating. You know, if the dog seems like he's confused and he's just kind of looking at you with a little bit of a tail wag and looking yeah. at you like well, what what's going on, and you go up and crack the dog at that point, uh, you know you you you've failed as the agitator 
clear and communicating of, of why you're there. Um, now, obviously, if if I do all that and the dog kind of starts backing up and licking his lips and his ears are back, then he wants no part of that. Pest is over. He's not the right dog. Um, and, and again, sure. if he's if he's in that neutral, confused environment, then I need to do a better job at communicating that uh, you know that that's that's what the deal is. Sometimes there will be very very subtle changes in the dog where he just kind of cues up a little bit. You know, not every dog is going to lose their mind and and take that mm-hmm. as a full blown bone predatorial threat and. Respond in that textbook manner that you want to see where he's lighting up and, and wants to kill you. It, c- it could be a very nuanced, very subtle thing like, you know, just the ears are, are up and, and his, his pupils seem and his eyes seem a little more pinpointed, a little more dilated uh, and, he, and, you know, maybe a little feather of the table, tail and, uh, you know, leaning forward a little bit. Uh, you know, there, there may be some, some, you know, again, much more subtle nuanced things like that. But once I see that that dog understands why I'm there and that he's responding in at least you know, a holding his ground, standing his ground slash semi-confrontational standpoint on his end. Then I walk up and and usually just like I did there, I like to use, you know, a water bottle with a couple of ounces of water in it. Um, You know, just enough to where it's still light. You can swing it fast. It's not going to hurt the dog. It just stings a little bit and I'll walk up and I'll smack him. Um, You know, and, and at that point from my experience, excuse me, one of two things happens. Either the dog decides, you know what, I thought I wanted a part of this. Turns out I don't, uh, yeah. and, and will yelp and, yeah, and run from you, uh, or, or he'll generally come completely unglued and want to kill you for it. Um, occasionally, you'll run into a dog that uh, you know is so confident and, and so um, unversed in that type of scenario where they'll, they'll look confused. In that case, I may help him out a little bit and, and give him a little bit of a, a little bit of movement and maybe a, a you know kind of a um, you know a punk out juke towards them you know just kind of that yeah. trying to get them to flinch once or twice and then give them a little another wrap on the beak with uh, with the water bottle and, and at at some point they're going to make the decision of okay this is you know it's go time um, there has been yeah. I can count on one hand the amount of times where dogs you know I, I'd made contact with them several times done everything I can and they just kind of stand there like I don't really know what's going on. Uh, in that case, uh, I'd be willing to take it a step further and see how they are uh, on the bite in the suit. And if they pass everything else, I'd take a chance on them uh, because at a minimum, they're they're not they're not scared of you and they're not backing down. They yeah. just don't get it. What I what I will caveat that with is that if you've done that a couple times and you see confusion, don't don't keep just sitting there smacking the dog. Um, you yeah. know, move, move to the next part and 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 give them uh, you know basically a pass. It's not a it's not a thumbs up. It's a it's a punt basically to the next part of the part of the test. They didn't fail it, but they didn't pass. So I'm I'm willing to take it to the next level. At that point, generally, uh, if the dog doesn't like that, he wants to kill you. And so at that point, I take off running uh, and I go back. And when I do it at my house, I do it in my garage. Um, and at that point, I jump in the suit as quickly as I can. And again, the dog has has still to this point not seen any equipment. And that is an imperative component to this is because sure. now the dog is going to be settled down enough to where whoever staked him out can walk up to him. Uh, and again, it's important to have whoever he's most comfortable with do that. So that you're not sending a stranger in there getting bit because now he's all wound up. Um, but whoever has handled him, once you give him the thumbs up, uh, you know, goes to, um, 
goes to just let them off. And I, I tell them specifically, don't give them any commands, don't say anything to them, just let them go and see what happens. And at that point, I want to see a dog that even though he still has not seen any, any equipment, it wants to come find me and, and, and pick a fight with me because of what just happened. Um, and in that environment, in my garage or wherever you're at, I do like to throw a couple of curveballs at them where uh, I'll put a few things so that when they round the corner into that building, one, they're going from light to dark and it messes with their vision a little bit. And there's usually a couple mm -hmm. of physical obstacles. You know, you're not putting the Great Wall of China in front of them, but I like to put a few things that, yeah. are, that are just going to kind of rattle them and they'll bump into them and have to either go through them, around them, over them, whatever, and show one more level of commitment to, to come get me. At that point, show I have some tenacity to get to you. Yeah. And at, the, and at that point, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to make it, uh, you know, a human odor work problem. Um, but sure. I, I'm going to, you know, be in the back and maybe behind, you know, my squat rack or something like that, where they, there's a, a certain level of them having to come find me again, you know, don't be 12 feet up in duct work and, and expect, you know, a good result at that point. The, yeah. the big thing is the genetics, but the biggest thing I'm looking for is a desire to do that. If it's in a, you know, 20 feet inside of a tree line, that's fine too. If you're in a rural area, but just something to where it's, it's going to kind of jog, jog their memory a little bit. At that point, when they come in, uh, I'm, I'm going to do one last commitment uh, test on them, and I'm going to take something, and it doesn't need to be anything dramatic. It could be a shoe, uh, a small cardboard box, a, you know, an empty bleach bottle, of uh, a feed scoop, you know, I mean, you name it, just something small in your hand that you can, you can kind of smack them with while they're coming in, because a lot of times dogs haven't seen that. Uh, you know, they've had a free, yeah. free pass or a, you know, a free entry into whatever uh, target area that they have and i want to see you know something again that they've not seen i'm going to give them a little bump and and uh, make it make it a challenge for them to come get me if they make contact with me after that they pass uh, i will say at that point now i'm gonna you know I, i've i've come to the conclusion that uh you know that they have true natural forward aggression they will defend themselves you know when they have the opportunity to to run away uh when they don't have the handler to to lean on uh, they're in an environment they're uncomfortable with and there's absolutely no contextual association with a bite scenario whatsoever for them to be queued up with uh when, if they have all of those things from my perspective and experience those are largely uh, almost entirely genetic uh and so if it has that i know we can build on that uh, at that point i know that that the oil tank is there now once i'm in the suit i'm gonna i'm gonna test their oil and see how deep that well goes by making contact with them and i'm gonna mm -hmm. i'm gonna start grabbing them and flanking them and you know squishing the side of their face and covering their eyes and smacking their ribs and lifting them up a little bit and going to the ground and wrapping my legs and and again just some things that maybe a sport or schutzen dog has probably not seen before um you know grabbing skin and twisting it a sure. little bit um you know, are, are good, good measures of, of, uh, you know, what that dog is going to put up with and, and smacking them and stuff. And, um, one, one thing of note that I didn't mention right out of the gate is that, you know, it, it is a good idea to know, Hey, is this a pH one dog? Is it an IPO one? Is it a French ring? Is it, you know, um, is it a shit sure. one? I mean, or is it a completely green dog that's 16 months? You know, those factors, I mean, a four-year-old titled dog versus a 16-month-old green yeah. dog, you know, what they're showing me in terms of their level of commitment and, and bite technique and things of that nature, um, I'm obviously going to, uh, that's, that's going to play a role. 
uh, you know, it's not going to give sure. them a pass for failing, um, but it is absolutely going to going to contribute to to the the gauge or the measurement stick with which I am measuring their their competency and, and caliber and ability. Um, so at that point, I, I essentially go right into my first bite work uh, countering reinforcement session of you know I'll grab them, uh, squeeze their face a little bit, and 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 wait. You know, if I see them start to get a little bit uncomfortable, I won't put any more pressure on them, but I won't take any off, and I, and I wait. And if they give me a little bit of a counter in, all that pressure goes away, and I let them completely dominate me. And, and that's where we start our first training session of teaching them how to how to utilize, capitalize, and, and maximize. I know I'm sounding like a poet right now or a, a rapper with everything ending <laughs> in eyes, but I, I try to, to use all of those to my advantage and, and teach the dog how to bring all of those to bear and teach them how to fight because to me that's now I've established okay the genetics are there now I'm going to use those training yeah. techniques uh, and it's going to start even during the selection test because at that point I'm buying this dog um, yeah. and I'm going to do my very first sure. training session that way. So one of the things you mentioned there and it went over kind of quick and um, you 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 explained it to me one night uh, I think we were having a beer and you kind of explained it and I I definitely use it I stole it someday I'm gonna take credit and tell everybody I, I came up with it like any good dog <laughs> trainer but but what what I like there is you get this dog to the point whether it's on the cable or preferably back in the room the dogs come in you're analyzing that bite you've made that dog physically uncomfortable by squeezing him against the wall you've put a little bit of pain into him in a fair amount which uh, just to, to reiterate, and I, I know you're on the same page, you're in a bite suit, so it's bullshit if you're going to yeah. try and really beat the dog up. So so you're doing a fair amount of, of training on, on the dog or a fair amount of, of pain. But you've made him physically uncomfortable, uh, put a little bit of pain into him, made him mentally uncomfortable. And then uh, that's where I think I, I always had done that. And then I would see where I could, how much pressure I could put on the dog. And when I got to the point where I thought I had hit the mark where his pressure was, I had always then immediately taken that pressure off. And what I learned from you is you get to that point and then that pressure stays. It doesn't go away. It doesn't go any higher, but it doesn't go away. And you give the dog enough of an option at that point that if he wants to leave, he could simply let go and get out of the room or he can actually say, all right, you've stopped. So I'm going to bring it a little deeper. Is that kind of... Am I, am I explaining that the, the right way? Yes, absolutely. And that, you know, that kind of, I, I think, goes further towards the training of proper bite techniques and, and how to teach a dog how to fight a man properly versus the selection. Um, but yes, absolutely. Because, you know, one of the things that... But, but would you say there's some genetics involved in, in when you've got the dog in that, that point that, that he can decide if... This is because what I took away from that, and I thought of some of the dogs that I had uh, selected and bought over the years. Um, I know at that point of the decision, if you will, that the ones that I really liked were the ones that would say, Oh, you seem like you got a little weaker. Let me bring it. And the ones that, you know, I was always a little worried about were the ones that either most of the time, I think if they, if, if it was a dog that would have simply opened their mouth and ran off, I wouldn't have bought him. But I, I know I have selected and trained and, and had some, some success with dogs that basically just brought, brought the same amount of fight that I gave them. And I always called those government employee dogs. They'll do, <laughs> they'll do the minimum amount necessary, yeah. you know, like any good government employee, but they don't do any of the extra. And, and I just think of some of the dogs over the years that, that um, I've, I've trained, the ones that would then th feel a little bit of weakness, I thought genetically were superior to a lot of the dogs. So I've started watching for that. And I, I hope I'm characterizing that correctly because yeah. it was uh, 
something I learned from you. And I, I really liked that idea of, of the forward aggression at, at that point of decision. Yeah. You know, let's see what you have. Yeah. You know, and, and for me, the, the tricky part is, is from a numbers game standpoint is that if, if, if that is your minimum standard, unfortunately, there's never going to be enough dogs. Um, you know, and so to me, yeah. Is my preference that? Yes, absolutely. Uh, to me, my minimum standard is that they'll go through all of that and then at least engage. Um, you know, because that that is is kind of the this from a statement of work standpoint that mm-hmm. that is the absolute. You, you cut out just a second. So your minimum standard there would be they'll go through all that and what and, and still engage. You know, and still engage. Uh, yeah, yeah. And and from that point, you know, you can you can condition the dog to take more than he showed then you're, you're always going to be limited to the, to the dog's genetic capacity. You know, your, your job, our job as trainers and handlers, and, and in this, uh, in this instance, uh, you know, the decoy's primary responsibility is to maximize that dog's genetic potential. Um, you know, you're, you're never going to go above it. So it, you know, you, you damn well ought to, uh, at least peg it out, you know? And so to me, you know, the minimum standard, if it wasn't enough, it wouldn't be the minimum, you know, do I want a dog that checks the box? No. Um, you know, but if, if that's all it does, uh, it'll still be able to do the work. And, and, you know, to me, one of the things that I've, I've learned, unfortunately, over the years is that, you know, if, if my standard for a dog that I would have myself is, if he doesn't make that decision to come forward, then, then I'm going to fail him. You know, there's 1% of the working dogs out there that that fall into that category, you know, and and then you may spend your life looking for one. Um, yeah, but for sure. And and anybody can train and handle those dogs. It's the ones who can take the, the middle of the road dogs and peg them to, to, you know, to be really good solid street dogs are the, I think to me are, are the, are the good trainers and the good handlers that yeah, for, know, yeah, for sure. know what to do. Yeah. And, and, you know, the big thing with that is, is, you know, using threshold training in that same capacity, you're just going to dial it way back to where, you know, even the slightest bit of forward movement is going to garner, you know, all of that pressure coming off. And, and over time you'll teach and condition the dog uh, to raise that level of, of how much you can mess with them and, and build on that threshold, just like say lactic acid in your muscles when you're working out uh, same, same yeah. principle with them. So, uh, you know, that's the absolute minimum. Um, but yes, you know, from a, from a training standpoint, then I go into giving them the choice and there is, there is a big difference between that because in the scenario that you provided of, of what you were doing before and frankly, what a lot of people do, again, if you put yourself in that dog shoes, what are, what are you doing? You're rewarding weakness. Mm-hmm. No, you know, yeah. as soon as the dog backs off or, or stops coming forward, you reward that by letting it all go. You're, you're teaching him to, to stop coming forward. So, yeah. um, you know, again, that, that's a huge proponent in the, in the, in the, from a bite work standpoint, uh, you know, of running scenarios where you're just doing lots of, of transitions and, and overlapping of drives where, you know, cause not to get so far in the weeds, but it, I think it does apply to even the selection test is that, yeah. you know, I, I'm a proponent of, of dogs having two main drives and you can, we can argue, you know, that there's all these other drives that are subsets of, of one of the two, but there's prey drive and defensive drive. And if you remember one thing from this, remember that prey drive relieves stress and defensive drive builds it, you know? So when you're building stress, uh, in this dog with, uh, you know, with pressure and, and whether it's physical, mental, environmental, or a combination of all of them, you know, you're, you're increasing the level of stress in that dog. Um, and when it, in, in every dog, it's going to get to a point where it, where it cracks, 
uh, or, or spills over, simmers over the top and, and is too much and, and you end up uh, breaking the dog. So just before you get to that point, uh, you know, stop putting any more on. And exactly like you said, is, is once you're at that point, don't take any off, but don't put any more on and give that dog the opportunity to decide, you know what, I'm going to, and it could be this, the, the smallest micro counter in, uh, he pulses with his yeah. mouth just a little bit, you know, leans forward, wraps a paw around the back of your knee. What, you know, any even nuanced slight indicator that he's picking a fight or coming forward and, and wanting to continue that confrontation at that point. Now I'm going to erase all of it. You know, I'm, I'm going to take every yeah. single bit of that pressure off of that dog and, and, you know, act like a gazelle in a lion's mouth and let him treat me like a schoolgirl for two minutes and give him a, yeah. a lottery of a reward so that the next time, you know, that's in his memory bank. And so now somebody's fighting him for real. And he's done that, you know, the last 200 times when, when somebody tries to hurt him, he fights harder and gets to win. And you, you've now conditioned that dog uh, again to the, to the maximum capacity of that dog's genetic potential. Yeah. Outstanding. So that kind of wraps up the, the you know, what I said the first one, the, the, but for you, the last test, but either way, we'll call it the stakeout test and we'll do some other shows, you know, kind of wrapping this all up, getting everything in there. And also if uh, you like this type of, of class and you want to sit through and see some slides and some videos and, and really get a much better understanding of it, uh, it's a great way to do that would be at hits. Mike's going to teach this class. Uh, it hits. Chicago. Um, and we'll be there from August 13th. We'll have a lot of instructors. Again, Mike will be there. You'll be able to also talk to Mike at other times, you know, in between classes and in the evening, we always offer, have opportunities to uh, hang out with the instructors. So it'd be a great time to, uh, you know, get any type of, of selection testing for both patrol, uh, single purpose dogs. We have a lot of different classes there. So I appreciate Mike. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, can you tell us what's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? Sure. Uh, just go to MikeRitland.com and that's kind of the hub for everything, whether it's Tricos, Warrior Dog Speaking, uh, Dog Sales. My online training uh, is TeamDog.Pet, uh, which I... I, I don't go into bite work training in there. It's it's all foundational, you know, fundamental type stuff. But uh, but yeah, it's all all kind of encompassing. Again, I, I I will be at hits. I'll actually be in the in the speedo vendor booth wearing a size twenty six red <laughs> speedo and nothing else. So look look for me there. Uh, so Mike just got fired from hits. Yeah. So if you want to <laughs> catch him online or something, because I can't do that. So <laughs> sure, <laughs> maybe no. there's another seminar and you could yeah. you can wear speedos and talk to attorneys if there's another one out there. To I'm pretty <laughs> sure I'll be welcome. Hang out. On the other one, so. <laughs> I would imagine you would be. So thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. This is your host, Jeff Meyer. You can always reach me, Jeff, at hitsk9.net, Jeff at hitsk9.net. And again, as always, uh, check out our webpage, hitsk9.net, and get all the information about hits in Chicago. Uh, it'll be this year's Chicago. And thanks for everybody. Be safe out there. Hits Radio is brought to you by the professionals at Hits Training and Consulting. Don't miss out on the world's largest law enforcement canine training conference coming to the McCormick Center in Chicago, Illinois, this August. HITS has the most diverse class schedule to fit your training needs. And with over 100 vendors, you'll find everything you need to gear up for your next shift. Register today and save at www.hitscanine.net.